0: Workers' Comp Matters, the podcast dedicated to the laws, the landmark cases, and the people that make up the diverse world of workers' compensation. Here are your hosts, Judd and Alan Pierce.
1: Hello again, it's Alan Pierce, your host today on Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network. And we are pleased to have a returning guest, Dr. Bogdan Savage from the Workers' Compensation Research Institute. He's going to be discussing with us a study recently published by WCRI in which uh, Bogdan was the uh, chief analyst in terms of assessing long covid and what that is, what that means, and what that has meant and will continue to mean for the workers' compensation industry going forward. Dr. Savage is a public policy analyst for WCRI. He analyzes issues related to labor and health economics. He conducts research that examines outcomes of injured workers and the adequacy and efficacy of workers' compensation benefits. He explores the role of provider choice in policies in workers' comp outcomes and compares payments for ambulatory surgery and other medical uh, benefits. He examines the performance of workers' comp system in Virginia, and uh, he received his PhD from the Pardee Rand Graduate School. What about WCRI. Those of you who are familiar with our podcast, or even if you're not, you may be familiar with the Workers' Compensation Research Institute. It is an organization that is based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It is one of the leading, if not the leading, research organizations that provides data to policymakers and regulators and industrial accident boards and commissions. This year, WCRI will be celebrating its 40th anniversary and their annual Issues and Research Conference will once again take place in March of 2024, specifically March 5 and March 6 of 2024 in Boston where experts and policymakers will discuss latest research and findings with respect to all areas of workers' compensation. The keynote speaker will be David Cutler, a very noted economist. So if any of you want more information about WCRI or to participate or attend, you can register and learn more at wcrinet.org. So having said that, Dr. Savage, I'd like to welcome you once again uh, to Workers' Comp Matters. Hello, everybody. I'm really glad to be here. And, and we were chatting before we went live on um, the podcast that the last time I think I saw you or saw anybody from WCRI in person was at your annual Issues and Research Conference, which was in March of 2020. And I believe it was probably the last public gathering I went to, or in fact, any of us went to, the, because I think it was within a, a day or two, the world as we knew it shut down. We didn't know then that what we thought would be a small, minor upset in our daily life, uh, lives and work lives would uh, continue through pretty much the rest of 2020. And we are still, I guess, in the process of emerging. But one of the issues that certainly became a subject of discussion is how is COVID going to impact the workers' comp system in terms of costs, in terms of whether the system could even handle it? I think we can all say in a brief retrospective look now, three and a half years later, that the pandemic certainly showed some shortcomings in the workers' comp system and also gave us some ideas on how to prepare or uh, deal with something similar that uh, may in fact happen again. So, Bogdan, tell us about your latest article and area of interest as it relates to uh, COVID. What did you study?
2: Thanks. So, we sort of reflected on What happened right after COVID-19 started. And at that time, there were quite a few reports that many workers who were injured, many patients who were injured, their symptoms uh, did not go away after the acute stage of the infection. From what we knew at that time in early waves of COVID-19 is that majority of patients recover really fast. But there were reports that some patients continued having symptoms months later, two months later, even three months after the initial acute stage of the infection. And these reports of continuing symptoms became known as long COVID. So at WCRI, we decided to sort of look at how big is this uh, long COVID phenomenon Mm -hmm. How? What what are the cost implications? What does it mean for workers' recoveries? And how long does it last? So we've done analysis looking at prevalence of disease, cost, and duration of disability for workers who had potentially long COVID conditions.
1: In fact, I'm looking, I should have actually given you credit for the title of your article. It is actually entitled Long COVID in the Workers' Compensation System in 2020 and 2021. First of all, I don't think there ever was a – we ever heard a diagnosis of long COVID. I'm not even sure there is an official medical diagnosis, but we've been using, for, I guess, shorthand purposes, long COVID. I think you've identified some other terms, like post-COVID conditions, post-acute COVID, long-term COVID, chronic COVID, long-haul COVID. I guess they are all sort of uh, describing the same thing. Has Either the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, or the World Health Organization, or any other organizations, actually defined what is, I guess, for lack of a better term, long COVID.
2: Well, that's that's a really interesting aspect of this problem. When the first reports of COVID of long COVID came in, we don't know what to expect. The medical community didn't know what what is the long COVID. Why do people continue receiving uh, continue having some of the symptoms later on? So CDC and World Health Organization decided to sort of take a scientific look at the problem and decided to sort of collect all of the information that they can, trying to see well, are there any common conditions that workers that patients are experiencing months, two, three months later? The idea was to collect information and maybe come up with the definition of long COVID while looking at the data or being informed by their the actual experiences that uh, many of the patients have, and it turns out that there are some commonalities. You know, many workers had reported uh, conditions that relate to their lungs, to their heart, but there are also many things that were not very common, and that's what makes a diagnosis of long COVID very difficult. For the first few years cDC was primarily you know changing her definition to include conditions that were more and more common among workers or among patients that they see and that was just driven by studies uh, that were done across across the globe What are some of the symptoms
1: or conditions that have sort of been brought into or under the umbrella of the term long covid
2: when the first reports of long COVID conditions came out, the medical community didn't know what should be included. So CDC and the World Health Organization approached it from the perspective of, well, let's collect information about patients' experiences. Let's see what these experiences are and see if they are connected to initial COVID-19. The main condition was that patients did have to have COVID-19. They had to have a, go through the acute stage of that disease And in a post-acute stage, like months later or three months later, they'll have some experiences that are not connected to anything else, but likely are connected to the COVID-19 infection that they have. So those examples are chronic cough, ongoing shortness of breath on exertion, meaning like difficulty breathing when you exercise, extreme fatigue, chest tightness, uh, chest pain, muscle pains, heart problems, problems sleeping. Some of those conditions that were more common, some of those conditions were less common.
1: I've had some clients that have, as a result of the physical conditions, they've been complaining of what they've termed uh, cognitive issues, brain fog, anxiety, memory concentration, and mental health issues. And I imagine the physical symptoms don't
2: exist in a vacuum. Yeah, and these conditions are also included uh, as part of this broad definitions that CDC puts out, such as you know, problem memory with memory concentration, as you said, brain fog, anxiety. These are part of the conditions that we see in our data also. They are not as common as we see for, say, heart problems or lung problems, but they're still part of the experiences that many workers have. And it's, it's actually important to highlight is that some workers don't have just one type of condition. Sometimes Sometimes they have multiple conditions. And those type of experiences are sort of more, lead to longer duration of disability or higher, um, longer recovery after COVID-19.
1: And of course, the problem for those of us who represent these people in workers' compensation claims is being able to make the connection uh, between symptoms and exposure and diagnosis. And as I think we all know as laymen, that the people who are most adversely affected by COVID are people who had what's known as pre-morbidity, pre-existing conditions, whether it's age, overweight, lung impairment, cardiac diabetes, and these are all people that seem to have had whatever conditions they've had just sort of magnified or worsened. Before we take a break, I just want to ask you this question. As a research analyst, where do you get your data Because uh, workers' comp spreads across all 50 states, various other jurisdictions. What type of data did you need to do this analysis, and where are you able to get
2: it? In our analysis, we examine long COVID conditions by looking at billing data after work-related injuries. To be able to do that, we have to collect collect billing information on medical bills that uh, are related to COVID-19 conditions. At WCRI, at the Workers' Compensation Research Institute, we have data from many states. In this analysis, we include 34 states. And this data reflects billing information from workers' compensation payers, large employers, state funds in the states where there are state funds. And we are able to link up beginning of the claim where workers had COVID-19 to everything that happens later on any care that they received, what type of diagnosis that they had, what type of services they received later on. That's the type of data that we use. Um, and we cover injuries in the first two years of the pandemic.
1: And I, I'm going to assume that this research is going to continue as the years uh, continue unfold and we experience various variants of COVID-19 as well. So as I say, Continuing study?
2: Do you expect for you folks at Wcri or others? Part of this research was funded by NIOSH, and NIOSH actually reached out to many workers' comp state agencies, to Wcri and other research organizations to provide information about how workers fare uh, after COVID nineteen. I'm sure that they're interested more in exactly what you're saying, to learning more in the future how workers fare. And what it means, um, do we still see prevalence of long COVID going forward?
1: And NIOSH, of course, is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. That's a governmental organization that also tracks uh, healthcare issues, costs, et cetera. Uh, we're gonna be right back after a short break, and we're gonna be talking about the prevalence of long COVID, the costs, what this research paper has uncovered, and what we can learn from it going forward. So We'll be back after a short break with our guest, Dr. Bogdan
0: Savage. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's legal translation service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thisspanishgroup.org. Merri's Case is the number one law practice management solution, tailor-made for workers' compensation firms. Streamline your practice with Merri's Case's easy-to-use all-in-one platform. You're empowered to breeze through case and document management, workers' compensation forms, e-filing, calendaring, and invoicing. Learn how Maris case can increase your firm's efficiency today. Visit MarisCase.com. That's M-E-R-U-S-C-A-S-E.com.
1: Okay, welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Bogdan Savage about long COVID. Uh, Dr. Savage, can you give us your best data on, of all the patients who might have been diagnosed with COVID-19, how many, what percentage
2: might be termed suffering from long hauler or long COVID? So in our study, we estimate that of workers who had COVID-19, about 6% continued receiving care uh, that's consistent with long COVID conditions months after an injury. And was that
1: broken down between workers who had symptoms as opposed to workers who were hospitalized or intensive care or intubated? I would assume the more serious the beginnings of the disease Is it a fair statement that the more
2: serious the uh, effects would be long-term? And that's a really important observation. It turns out that experience early on after COVID-19 infections has a big impact on what happens to you later on. If you look at people who had very limited amount of care during the acute stage of the infection, meaning right after they were infected. The prevalence of long COVID for them was about 4 to 5%. But if you look at people who had multiple visits to doctors, if you look at people who, ha- who were hospitalized, and if you look at workers who had an ICU stay, for those workers, the prevalence of long COVID conditions were much higher. If you look at those with ICU care, about 74% of them continued receiving treatment in a post-acute a good stages of the infection, and many of them continued receiving treatment, you know, a year later or eighteen months later.
1: And uh, you know, now we are deep into two thousand twenty-three, so we're heading into two thousand twenty-four. We're coming up on four years since people started getting sick in this country. Have you been able to ascertain uh, whether there are patients that you were studying or or data from two thousand twenty to two thousand twenty-one? Is there a group of patients that even two years after your study or year and a half study are still suffering from long COVID?
2: Yes, we do see that for some of the folks, it's, it is uh, there's a small percent of workers who are still receiving treatment, you know, two years in. Now, yes. I, re- I remember,
1: you know, the early talk in the industry, once we were getting past the societal implications of, of dealing with a pandemic and everybody either being sick or being worried about being sick and to mask and not mask and to vaccinate, and not vaccinate. A lot of folks in the industry were wondering whether this would bring down the workers' comp market, whether the workers' comp system as a whole could deal with a potential billions of dollars of unplanned for losses. In terms of actual the payment history now looking back, I would say our greatest fears were over-exaggerated, but could you sort of give us an idea of the impact cost-wise that COVID-slash-long COVID has had on the bottom line of insurers?
2: So it's really important to realize that um, there are very big differences between simple COVID cases. Well, if there is a such thing as a simple COVID-19 case. If workers do not develop long COVID, the cost of the claims are really not that Not that great compared to anything else we see in workers' compensation system. Uh, The duration of disability for those cases are also sort of consistent, between two and three weeks. That's what you would expect from somebody who has a COVID nineteen. They quarantine for two weeks, and they then they go back to work. Once you start looking at long COVID cases, that's when the costs become higher. For example, on average, for cases with long COVID, if you measure Experiences, experience or medical payments within 18 months, you see that the average costs were about $29,000. So to put it into perspective, that's actually higher than what we see for a typical workers' comp claim that has an, that has indemnity benefits, meaning workers left, uh, spend at least seven days away from work. So when we look at Typical workers' comp claims in our comms studies that's those that WCRA conducts, the median payment across multiple states is about $22,000, $23,000. So $29,000 is higher than what you see for typical workers' comp claim. But even then, there are big differences. If you have workers who had ICU stay, the medical cost for those claims would be in excess of $150,000 the workers who were just hospitalized with or without ICU. The costs were in excess of $50,000. So you have to take into account how many cases do you have that has ICU stay. It's, it wasn't very many of them, right? It's only a small percent of sample of COVID-19 claims had ICU stay. It's less than 1%. But they have an oversized impact on costs. But for majority of claims, majority of COVID-19 claims that did not end up as long COVID claims. The cost were relatively minor. And I think that's sort of typical what you see in many workers' compensation fields where there are where there lots of claims that are not very expensive, but there are several outlier claims that will be driving your experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's always that general rule of thumb. 20% of the cases produce 80% of the cost. Perhaps in COVID, it's 5% of the cases might produce 95% of the cost. I did notice anecdotally in my practice, that the so-called quick in and out of COVID, the three weeks out of work, uh, the brief medical attention these people might have gotten, may not have even gone through the workers' comp system. First of all, there's the issues of proving causal relationship and compensability. for healthcare workers, it's a little easier, but for other public-facing employees, it's much more difficult. But the people who are out of work three or four weeks, they either use sick time they may have gotten unemployment benefits. Uh, there were other type of governmental benefits. So I think even though there might have been tens of thousands or more of those smaller cases, they may not have even gone
2: through the workers' comp system. Did you find any evidence of that? Well, we can only look at what we are able to observe, right? If, if there was no COVID-19 claim, we can't really look at uh, what happens to them. But we do have a quite a bit of quite a large share of COVID-19 claims where workers only received identity benefits, meaning that they were away from work for two, uh, for two weeks, and that was it. That was the end of the claim. Uh, we also see quite a few claims where all that happened was maybe, you know, two weeks of the identity benefits, maybe one or two visits to doctors, and that's it. And it's only a small share of workers, um, less than, uh, I think it's less than 3% that had hospitalizations, that's, a, you know, that's, that's in terms of the market that we see. Okay, we're going to take another quick break and then
1: we'll come back and have some concluding uh, questions and remarks from Dr. Bogdan Savage. We will be right back. Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there?
0: Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found.
1: Welcome back, Dr. Savage. What would you say is the biggest takeaway from from this look back of 2020 and 2021 in terms of how the workers' comp system dealt with the Problem it was suddenly faced with dealing with COVID. What can you take away from your research?
2: Thinking back three and a half years ago, we were facing new world. The workers' compensation system did respond. Many of the in- infections were covered. Uh, the policymakers intervened, saying that well, maybe we don't have presumptions for coverage for this specific infection, but maybe we should have. They introduced COVID nineteen coverage for many types of workers in their states, and the workers' compensation system sort of geared up to be, to be part of the response. Workers were covered by, for COVID-19 and remain covered for long COVID conditions. And that's sort of, that was a really quick response ac- across many stakeholders, insurers, policymakers, and employers.
1: Would you say that the experience of two years, 2020 and 2021, was a major cost driver in the workers' comp insurance market, or was it just a less than feared, maybe greater than normal, but certainly not of a catastrophic nature in terms of uh, costs in the bottom line to the carriers or these large employers or self-insurers?
2: It's a a good question. So I didn't study the impact on, on bottom line, but clearly that the catastrophic fears that some of the people had did not materialize but covid-19 did have a big impact on how the medical care is provided even beyond covid-19 claims right so if you think back many workers were injured workers were told not to go back to the hospital because the hospitals are swamped so the question becomes what happens to their recoveries after, after afterwards the medical doctors are busy or medical doctors cannot open their offices because, uh, you know, because they are closed by you know, state mandates. What happens to the recovery of those injured workers? And I think some of those questions, we still don't have a good understanding to, like, what, what actually happens and what was the impact. So it's still important to do more analysis to figure out what was the impact on actual recovery of injured workers Beyond and like even outside of the cost to the system.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, uh, you know, again, from my perspective, representing these folks, of course, we had the usual issues of proving the nexus of the connection between workplace exposure and uh, development of the symptoms. But we also had many jurisdictions don't recognize or their definitions of occupational disease vary, the coverage for occupational disease varies. There's a question of whether a pandemic is an occupational disease because it's not a condition that is endemic to the employment, but it's endemic outside of the employment. And we also now have the onset of telemedicine and how the disease has impacted the delivery of health care, all of which I think are being studied by a variety of folks. So I'm and I think those of us involved in the workers' comp field are grateful that folks like WCRI are able to get the data in terms of costs, in terms of how these costs are allocated around the uh, the community of workers' comp and taking a look at where the next time around, God forbid, if there is a next time, we can be better prepared and anticipate uh, the costs and anticipate the effects of those costs. So any closing words you'd like to share with our audience before we conclude, other than my thanking you and WCRI for your important contributions to the always okay. ongoing dialogue? Thanks
2: for highlighting our, our work we at WCRI are tasked with informing the public, informing the policymakers, and we are always glad glad to do that. And if anybody's interested in seeing our research in person, please, you know, come to our issues in research conference in March and five and six in Boston.
1: And I assume on your website there are links to other um, materials that might be helpful that could lead to other areas of interest. And our website is wcrinet.org. Okay, well, once again, on behalf of uh, Legal Talk Network, I want to thank you, Dr. Bogdan Savage, and those of you who are listeners to Workers' Comp Matters, please tune in again and go out and make it a day that matters.